We just wanna party, party just for you. We just want the money, money just for you. I know you wanna party, party just for me. Girl, you got me dancing, dancing shit for free. We just wanna party, party just for you. We just want the money, money just for you. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Look how I'm living now. Police be tripping now. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. Hey. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is Gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like, yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like, yeah. We gon' blow like, yeah. Hey folks, you're listening to the Wait What If Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Sullivan, as always. Kind of a different way to, to bring that episode in. It actually has nothing to do with the episode we're about to about to engage in. But I like that song. I think it's a great song. If you don't know what it is, it's Childish Gambino, This Is America. You might know the artist as Donald Glover. He's an actor. Uh, really intense song. I love it. I think he did a good job with it. Uh, the video, everything. Great song. That's it. You get a little plug there from the Wait What If Podcast. Tonight's episode we're going to be discussing i guess we could call it controversial topics but i i don't understand why we would use that term and i'll I'll explain so riley anderson's coming back on he has been on in the past and we've chatted about ayahuasca and ibogaine and um, dimethyltryptamine and maybe lsd i don't know if we talked about that mdma these are all uh controlled substances and they're dangerous, I guess, in the sense that if you are taking them from some Joe Schmo off the street recreationally, yeah, you can get into some serious trouble. The fascinating thing about it is me as a medical provider, I can write some seriously hardcore drugs. I could write a prescription for fentanyl, not that I ever would, but I could. And that amazes me because that is an extremely potent, very addictive substance. And I have carte blanche to write it to a patient who, um, who I guess would need some sort of pain control. On the other hand, if I were to write something like medicinal marijuana or, or something along those lines, um, I think there's a, a tincture, there's a pill version, whatever it is, that's illegal uh, or it's federally illegal and I could go to jail for it. So somebody somewhere says, okay, here's the medicines that we say you can use and here's the medicines where we say you can't use them. Um, I guess I, I honestly don't know or, or I, I should say my public opinion on the matter um, always stays in alignment with um, medical boards and, and all that. That's that's fine. I just think that the discussion should be had because some of these substances are, um, they're just showing promise, like MDMA with um, uh, 
folks with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, DMT with people or ibogaine with people with depression and substance abuse. I mean, these aren't, this isn't just anecdotal evidence. And the other thing too, is a lot of these drugs are, are not recreational. You know, you wouldn't take it for fun. When you take these things, you have extremely intense introspective moments and, and people uh, end up recovering just from experiencing these. So, uh, that's, that's basically it. So Riley Anderson, he, last time we spoke to him, he was in, um, I, I'm not sure if I can say this right. Naturopathy, naturopathic. He was in school for naturopathy and, um, I don't know, maybe he's graduated. We'll catch up with Riley and talk about all sorts of, um, uh, things. <laughs> so without further ado, Riley Anderson. listening to the Wait What If podcast. So we have Riley Anderson back on. The last time we spoke was probably a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Yeah, maybe just a bit more. So last time we spoke, you were still in naturopathy school. Is that what you call it? Naturopathy? Naturopathic school? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I'm uh, I'm now in my fourth year. Okay. And so I'm a, considered a clinical intern. So what I'm doing now is I'm seeing patients under the supervision of a licensed naturopathic doctor. And uh, I have a couple shifts at the regular clinic. And then I have another one at a hospital, actually. Okay. Where I see patients there. Yeah. So um, you have uh, naturopaths have a license to practice medicine, basically. Yeah, and it, it, it does. So up in Canada, we got these funky provinces, but uh, it does differ from province to province. In, in British Columbia, in, in particular in BC, uh, they pretty much have full prescribing rights. So once they have passed the prescribing exam, Okay. Which uh, I believe is the same for everybody, whether you're an MD or an ND, then uh, yeah, they can they can prescribe pretty much anything that uh, it's indicated for the patient. In Ontario, it's a, where where I'm at right now. They're a little bit behind the times. Maybe that's unfair. They're still in progress, I should say. Right. But, but uh, yeah, what you're starting, what I'm starting to see, anyways, is is far as like chiropractors and physiotherapists and naturopathic doctors and everyone is we're starting to see a blending of therapies and modalities sure and i think that's where we need to head and when you say blending of modalities and therapies you're talking western medicine folks pts chiropractors all, all that stuff yeah absolutely yeah okay yeah we're starting yeah, you see, yeah you see like physios doing uh acupuncture and chiropractic chiropractors doing acupuncture and mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's starting to to blend a little bit. What's setting the naturopathic doctors apart still is our training in nutrition okay. and diets. Yeah, yeah, and that's really really important. Um, we're we're seeing a similar, uh, I guess, change here in in the United States as well. Uh, Duke, I mean, it's one of the biggest universities um, for medicine and it's just a great university they have what's called an integrative medicine program that's the buzzword that's going around right and integrative just means okay let's all work together rather than poo poo each other you know yeah let's yeah. let's work together and and something i think is very important about that and it's you know I, I, my journey in medicine has has taken a huge turn huge 180 over the past few years because um 
I came out of PA school ready to cure the world with the power of my prescription pad, right? Um, yeah. It's the basic fundamental prin principle of Western medicine. Here's the diseases, learn them, know them, don't miss them, and prescribe the right medications. Yep. And then I noticed that uh, you know, more and more of my patients are more and more medicines and people are getting sicker and sicker and it's not curing. We're just, we're just covering up these things. You know, we're saying, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're putting bubble gum in the, in the leaking dike and it's not, it's, it's we're not fixing the whole, why is the dike leaking in, in, to begin with, you know? Yeah. And people are starting to ask that question. And, and I think that's great. And for, and for a while it was like, it was almost taboo. Like you're in Western medicine. You don't ask why <laughs> you just run the labs, find out the disease and, and run your treatment regimen. That's right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point you made about that. Um, people aren't necessarily, uh, getting cured of their disease. They're getting relieved of their symptoms. That's for sure. You know, we, we really have, uh, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry to thank for a lot, you know, and sure. we, we all, we all have family members that have benefited from it. Um, and I think that what has to happen with the integrative model is that we say more so in, in, instead of saying, um, your condition, let's just pick an easy one for the sake of argument, like high cholesterol, mm -hmm. uh, instead of saying you probably are going to have high cholesterol for your whole life and, uh, we need, you know, we need a statin, um, like we need, we need to say that nothing's going to change unless you change and he, and not not only that but here's how to change we don't you know just telling them to get more exercise and to eat better isn't working either people need details you know they some sometimes they do need a plan they need they need their hands held a little bit they need to be guided mm -hmm. and uh i'm amazed at you know some some of the information i'm sure that you give out too is as far as um diet and li lifestyle goes you it's it seems to maybe to someone like you, um, who is fit and healthy, so simplistic, but people are, they haven't gotten this information yet and mm -hmm. they can be, you know, in their fifties and sixties and, and you know, the, they don't know the difference between, let's say, uh, a simple carbohydrate, like a sugar or another carbohydrate, like fiber, Yeah. you know, they, and you have to explain these, these differences and, uh, yeah. And then the whole thing about, um, that fat and our paradigm change with that is, is really, really fascinating too. Cause we're, we're noticing that fat isn't exactly the enemy either. It's, mm -mm. it's, it is about the dose, not even saturated fat is the enemy. Yeah. You know, we, we need a little bit of that. Our lung surfactant that keeps our lungs from collapsing is made out of saturated fat. Um, but we need something to the tune of, I think it's 20 to 25 grams, um, in a day. And so it's all about the excess and the culture of excess sure. and, and, um, you also, that's what's tough. What I like to tell my patients is that we didn't survive 200,000 years with our bodies just trying to kill us the whole time. Um, looking into our past is really, really important. And I hate to jump on. So, uh, paleo, keto, all those things. I'd like it when they become part of the discussion, but what I fear is that it gets, um, dismissed as a fad, right? Cause I have a lot of people, Oh, I'm mm. doing keto. I'm doing keto. And I have to stop. And do you know what that really means? Do you know what you mean when you're saying you're doing keto? You know, are you doing it correctly? Are you just starving yourself of, you know, <laughs> vegetables and eating just globs and globs of fat? Cause that's keto or, you know, it, it, I, I don't want it to get a bad rap. So I, I'm, I'm, I tentatively enjoy the fact that it's gaining mainstream, but I, it also makes me nervous that in 10 years people say, Oh yeah, all these people went keto, you know, 
20 years ago, 10 years ago, and now they're back to the way they were. So it's, it's tricky, but back to the point yeah. where you, you, I always tell my patients, your bodies are working with you in some cases, you know, folks with uh, terrible diseases like cystic fibrosis or, um, any of these like, uh, congenital, uh, genetic diseases that just ruin lives okay right that, you know that's just you got a bad hand and and we have medical advancements to help you but for the most part things like cholesterol you know you're, you're counting someone's cholesterol number it's arbitrary because what you're saying is okay these building blocks are in the blood and we can correlate certain types of these building blocks certain types of cholesterols with heart disease but that doesn't mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't tell you why it's there why is this person's cholesterol damaging their body you know you know you have to look at i get, i tell people my patients i say look at cholesterol like this you have um beach balls and you have golf balls and if you're at a say you're at a concert you know when people start hitting beach balls around the concert yeah and you take 100 beach balls and you just toss them out to people and some aren't paying attention, they bounce off their head. No one's going to get hurt. In fact, they'll start playing with them and, and have fun. But you do the same thing with 100 golf balls. You're going to have people bleeding, <laughs> laying on the ground. And if you label both of those cholesterol, you can see easily the difference between, okay, do you have beach balls or do you have golf balls? And it all comes mm-hmm. down to just how, you know, what are the tools we're giving our body to come up with things like this? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was, you know, an, another good thing you said there about sure we have high cholesterol but what what's causing it and uh in naturopathic medicine we we have one of our 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 central tenets is find the root cause and that's been evolving a little bit it used to mean something like more on a deeper energetic level uh in the 1800s and there's still some some truth to that depending on the person's mental emotional state and previous traumas and and things like that but yeah like just dig one level deeper and i think you'll find so often that it is it is just behavioral and it and its lifestyle i mean there could be other underlying conditions of course um but i i think like what i what i've started seeing now in my training is is it's it's a it's a issue of almost about discipline you know what i mean like because we we live in excess and yeah. uh and no one's riding for free you know and and it, it and it's it's causing problems. Um, so yeah, I, I really like what you said about that. And that's, that's, that's what we're all about too, is just digging one, one level deeper to, to see why that might be. The other problem too, is that, uh, we got to remember that people are trying to make money off us. And uh, I think Rob Wolf put it nicely when he said, we have a, a bunch of hyper palatable foods out there available to us. And what these foods do is they tap into our ancestral drive to get mm. something with the most reward. And, mm-hmm. and to fault somebody, you know, and, and I used to be guilty of it. You know, I would fault people for, for their choices and, and, right. you know, I suppose to some degree, okay, you know, you, you can make those choices and, and I do give uh, a little credence to that, but there's also the fact that you have this drive deep down inside that says, Hey, go get that high calorie thing yeah. because I know it's going to give us energy. And then once you eat it, just lay down, you know, don't move, <laughs> right. sit on the couch because this is how we're going to survive the next ice age. Unfortunately, there's no ice age coming and, mm. you know, if food is readily available. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think they're even called flavor engineers or something like that, you know, and, and, uh, just engineering the right crunch for that kettle potato chip in conjunction with the right amount of, um, you know, fat 
sugar and, and all, all the spices to, to keep you addicted. Yeah. And that's that's what we're up against. You know, it's people figuring out how to how to keep us addicted for mm-hmm. for the for the bottom line. And don't let me get me wrong. I love those chips, but I, I don't like being fooled like that. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I, I've tried to eliminate them from my life completely. And it just pisses people off when I say that. But it, You know, because what what do I gain from it? Uh, and and I think when people start talking about their diet, you know, if I'm at a, I try not to bring it up when I'm at parties because then I'm a big, you know, party <laughs> pooper. But it's like, yeah, it's like, what am I going to gain from that personally, physically, emotionally? Uh, nothing, you know. If there's a birthday cake, sure, I might have three minutes of yum, but after that, I'm gonna feel like shit. Um, it's going to spike up my blood sugar. My heart's going to start rate. I'm just not going to feel good. So it, 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 yeah. Changing your personal paradigm, like changing your personal world to say that, that that's just not part of my world. What I look forward to is uh, a sous vide flank steak or, um, uh, New York strip that's grass fed yeah. and it's, you know, <laughs> cooked it's a to perfection. On that. Oh yeah. Do you sous vide? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't personally, I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay someone to to do it for me. It's very, (laughs) it's very, very easy. Um, yeah, I think Joe Rogan does. That's how I got into it. But you, yeah, you just get a tub of water, can be any tub of water. Uh, it can even be a stock pot and then you have to get BPA free. There's all different companies out there that make these quote safe plastics and, and you put the meat and this is where people get turned off. Like I was trying to make them for my dad who likes steak. And I'm like, dad, you you understand this is the best steak you'll ever have. And he's like, I'm not eating bag meat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, it's not really bag meat. You know, you, you put it, yes, you put it in a bag and then you put a little bit of olive oil and submerge it. And then the sous vide machine will actually bring it to the perfect temperature. So whatever you want it to be, if your steak temperature is 131.5 degrees, that's what you set it for. And then, and then, you know, everything's got, and this is a little sciencey, but you're probably on board with this. If if you have something at a certain temperature for so long, then it sterilizes it, so you don't have to worry about um, you know, having any whatever bacteria or anything. So then you yeah. take it out of that bag and you crank up the heat on a um, uh, cast iron skillet, and then you throw oh, yeah. it down on one side for 90 seconds, and the other it gets a crust over. Oh my god! I used to not eat steak, and then and then I discovered this, and now it's nice. it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, well, I've definitely decreased um, my land meat, mostly just because, you know, by way of being a student. Yeah, yeah, I could see <laughs> not that. Not being able to afford it like I used to, but I have just recently, um, I, I, I have been trying to add in, a, you know, even even more protein. Because I'm still working out, like I did a leg workout yesterday and went on a 11-kilometer run last week. And so, you know, my body does it, and I was trying to go a little bit more on the vegetarian side with supplementing with legumes, nuts, seeds, you know, beans, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, something, something just wasn't cutting it for me. Yeah. It's the bioavailability. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. So well, let's talk about that real quick. Uh, what part of, of, uh, I feel like I'm saying it wrong whenever I say it. naturopathy. Am I saying it right? Naturopathy. Na- we say naturopathy, but okay. tomato, tomato. Okay, so naturopathy. Um, how much do you guys focus on what we call, or at least in the the realm of ancestral type medicine, proper movement or movement techniques, or you know, talking to your patient about, all right, uh, you're at the gym for five days a week doing this, this, and this for an hour. You're not actually getting healthier because you're not moving correctly. You guys spend a lot of time on that. 
No, our, our exercise prescription at, at this point in, in, in the evolution of our profession is it's pretty basic, I would say. Um, I, I've got a little bit of personal training experience, so I can get a, a little bit more in depth. And I really believe in, you know, like moving the body in, in different angles and, and using multiple joints at the same time. Um, there's a really uh, cool thing out there called Animal Flow. I'm not sure if the guy is still doing it. Yeah, I know but, that. Uh, I've, I've seen his his uh, what do you got? YouTube channel. It's great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I started doing that. There's like the kind of the feline movements and sure. the primate movements, and yeah, even even some there's some lizard and crab and things like that. And I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I'm very good at it, but I, I can do all <laughs> the basic moves, and uh, it's actually it's surprisingly tough. But oh yeah, um, you know, if if we can at least get people moving in in whatever in whatever way, then then so be it. But I would say to people um try to inject a little bit of fun into it mm-hmm. and uh i would say most most of the things you're going to be doing that are fun you're going to be moving your body at different angles you know you're f- running around and throwing a frisbee or you're you know doing doing different things in the woods running around doing pull-ups on branches and whatever. Sure, yeah um, whatever you whatever you find fun and and uh that's that's yeah I, I don't I don't I don't see people getting too motivated just to to do bicep curls and you know just lap pull downs over and over again so it's I think also, there's a lot to be said it's not natural I mean it's uh, again and I, this is the weird part about my journey in medicine is every time I learn something new it all points back to our ancestors whenever mm-hmm. I discover something that makes me feel good I go oh this is because this is how our ancestors moved so I mm-hmm. used to. Um, and my listeners are probably sick of hearing the story, but uh, I was <laughs> training to do 400-pound deadlift on my 40th birthday. I figure four, four nice. arbitrary numbers. I like that. And I was about there, but my my joints, I was suffering, right? My my spine was was suffering. My neck was, I mean, because even just the fact that, you know, the, the tension pulling down on your, your traps, on your cervical spine was compressing my discs. Mm-hmm. And I was just mm-hmm. feeling horrible. And you know what? I had to bail because I was getting stronger, sure. But yeah. I was getting stiffer. I was I was damaged. I wasn't what I was putting myself through would be akin to my ancestors. I don't know, running from a flood and then fighting a bear. And it's <laughs> it's 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 good to be able to have that ability to do that to keep you alive. But it's not good for every single day. So yeah. So I learned about these guys called um, GMB Fitness, uh, gold medal bodies, and I think it's oh, yeah. GMB. Fit.io. I, I hope I got that right. Sorry, guys. But um, Ryan Hurst, um, Yarlo, I can't remember their last name. I had them. I had uh, Ryan on the show a couple of years ago. But what they did is is they you basically started from scratch. You know, you got on all all fours and worked on your fingers. You know, just stretching them out, just learning th- to feel them again and to to ground them, and then getting flexibility very gently, getting flexibility into your shoulders, and then. And then getting back into like a downward dog, but more, more, they call it bear crawl right. and then learning to move just like that. And it, it was basically relearning mm-hmm. movement from scratch and it saved my joints. I mean, I, I sold oh, no my, way. I sold my deadlift bar. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. There's no reason to. So I, um, yeah, so it's, I, I think movement is very important. I think proper movement is very important. And I think a lot of people overlook that. Absolutely. Yeah, and and there's there's no other way to get unmotivated, you know, with like no better way other than you know an injury, and that's sure. that's gonna make you unmotivated. And if you're not moving properly, yeah, you're gonna get injured. 
mm-hmm. um, even if it's just a, like a little ligament in your wrist or something like that, that's going to impact you big time. So yeah, that's really important. I, I like I like that philosophy of what those guys are doing. Really starting with you know from the basics, things we take for granted like finger flexibility and. I guess that would go all the way into grip strength, which is so huge and so so much that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I like I like that a lot. I've I saw I saw one of these guys talking. He was he he was like talk. He was mapping back to our our primitive brain and the primitive uh, movements, and he had this whole thing about that was his thing about the the lizard movements, and it was a little 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 out there for me. But I I kind of get what he was what he was saying is that we've we've lost these basic movement patterns like the bear crawl like just getting kind of or you know the bear crawl are kind of like the feline like the the supple leopard kind of stuff um it's surprisingly difficult oh, if, yeah. if you're just getting into it and you you think you're coordinated um you know maybe you've played sports if you've lapsed at all it's and you go back to something like that it's it's really tough like i had beads of sweat dripping down my face doing this for the first few weeks yeah have you ever done hot you yoga know? Yes. <laughs> that's that's yes, a killer. Yes. That's a killer. It's it's a killer. It's a killer just to get through it. Um honestly, I have to sit on my mat for about 5 minutes each time. It is a 90 minute session, mm-hmm. so it's pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty intense, but yeah, I'm 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 uh just a sophomore when it comes to that stuff, but uh like I did martial arts most of my life. Um started with the point style kung fu, eventually went into uh, Muay Thai kickboxing nice. and um, yeah, like played sports growing up and everything, and th- you know you th- you do yeah you think you're tough until you get into a hot oh, yeah. yoga class. <laughs> you do, you get yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you get in the ring with someone. When I when I got out of the uh, the service, I was kind of uh, who knows what it was. I mean, I used to be a wrestler and everything, but I was oh great uh, twenty nine thirty. I did karate all the way up till probably college, and uh, oh, yeah. I did a, what it was called gojuru that and wrestling, and then whatever, but I got out of the air force and I think deep down inside there was a, a, I think we talked about this on the last podcast. Um, the one I had with Savannah just recently, but, uh, my position in the air force was defensive, right? When we were flying into Iraq, we had no guns. I mean, we had pistols on us, but they, they were useless when you're flying at 150 yeah. feet at 400. Oh no, not that fast. We were at C-130, 250 miles an hour. So when I got, when I got back there were, I think there was an innate drive in me to, to seek out confrontation and to be able to, mm. to, I know it's, it's, it, it probably wasn't health. Maybe it was, I don't know. I, I don't think it had a negative impact, but I started doing a lot of San Chow, which is a type of yes, um, Muay Thai. The, the Chinese style. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, I think there were throws if I remember. There it's, are. It's yeah, been about throws, yeah. 10 years, very much like that Russian form. You ever see that Russian? San- yes. Oh, San, San, Sam, Sambo, Sambo, Sambo. That's Sambo? it. Yeah. 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 They wear like, um, uh, what are those called? The, the geez? Well, yeah, they wear a gi top, but then they wear like tidy whiteies or whatever they wear. Oh, yeah. Whatever. I, I know the European men's band, speedos. They wear like speedos and a gi yeah. top, and then they yeah they clobber each other. But yeah, I got I got really into that. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think I think there's a lot can be said uh, about training yourself and then putting yourself in a position where you can't fake your effort. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. And I think it's funny how I'm I'm in medicine, you're in medicine, we both have martial art backgrounds. It must be like a, a type of person that says, I'm gonna challenge myself to learn this and then I'm going to make it count, you know? Where mm-hmm. where I, you, you can't fake it in medicine, you can't fake it in 
in martial arts. Well, you can, but you're either going to kill someone or kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time getting into a, a real heavy sparring session, um, you know, thinking that I, I kind of, I have this attitude where I would never, ever quit. I would always fight to the end. And then once your lungs and heart start giving out and you're fighting someone a little, maybe a little bit bigger and, and better than you. Wow. It was, it was sure a lesson in humility and you're right. You can't, you can't fake that anymore and you have to come to terms with yourself and, and your own limits. But the beauty about humanity and that we all have within us is we wake up the next day and go, how can I be better? Yeah. Can I, can I breathe, can I breathe better from the onset? I don't think I was breathing yesterday. You know, I, I, if, if, if I, my footwork was a little bit better, I wouldn't be getting hit so much you know, and yeah. things like that, which, which takes energy away from you, you know, even if you're blocking. So yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely something to be said about that personality type. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I, I get myself into these challenges and then I hate myself for it while I'm going through it. But then of course, when you're on the other side, you thank yourself for it because that's really the only times we grow is when we're uncomfortable. Sure. You know, in, I, in many different aspects. Yeah. I used to hang out at the gym, uh, all the time. And, and if anyone needed a sparring partner, sparring, sparring partner, I'd go up and spar with him. And I remember the first time I got hit, um, it was a semi pro guy. He was a cage fighter Oof. and he, yeah. I saw like, I got hit so hard I saw the the veins in my retina, like I I saw it kind of spiderweb oh. across. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that can't that can't be good. And that was wow, before I was in medicine. Stars, how yeah. about seeing veins? That's, That's a whole right. other level, right? Yeah. And I was I was fully committed. I wanted to do at least one amateur cage fight, and I would say I was ready, but I was also not as young as some of the folks that I trained with. So I think I was about, I was about 32 at the height, which is good. I mean, as a, as a mm. person, that's when you're, I think, athletically and emotionally ready for something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I had gotten accepted to, to PA school. So I was like, it's not worth it. You know, even as an amateur, I, it's not that battle that you have in that cage. Uh, mm. I mean, what, what would I get out of it besides maybe a broken nose and who knows? I mean, you, yeah, it just, I, I just drew the line and, and kind of stuck with jujitsu after that i just like to oh that's good yeah because you can oh, still cool. compete in, in something like jujitsu you can go out there and you know they even have prize i don't want to call it a prize fight but you know you fight for whatever the the five thousand one thousand dollars and oh yeah and as long as you're fighting with respectful folks you don't really have to worry about getting hurt <laughs> mm-hmm. i laugh because within i would say my five years of competing jujitsu i separated my shoulder i i uh I guess you would say blew out my LCL on my, my Oof. knee. Uh, I yeah. did a couple other things. I can't remember, but I was banged up. I was banged up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tore my ACL. Um, oh, that's the worst in, in Muay Thai. And it was, it wasn't during, during a, a, a competition, but it was, you know, just like sparring and, um, and oh. then in a, in, in a fight, like in a competition, um, I took a really nasty knee to the right side of my body, like maybe I'd say about the sixth rib, right where it starts right. to kind of attach the cartilage and then where it goes to your sternum. And mm-hmm. I can still feel something's still wrong <laughs> to this day. <laughs> you can feel it right now if I press on it. Like that was years ago. And... Probably have a big, big chunky scar tissue over your liver right under there or something <laughs> from an old hematoma. But you know what? I think there's another, another part you know to pull out of this uh even with healthcare. so uh, and 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 maybe you feel the same way but once you learn what your body can do so 
so having empathy with patients and having empathy with folks who are trying to attain a level of wellness that they've never attained before uh, is important because you, if you've done something very, very difficult and accomplished it strictly through, you know, practice and training, you, you want to share that with folks and you get the, um, uh, the motive or not the motivation. I'm missing a word right here, but you, you, you get excited about, you know, I I was actually talking to my in-laws tonight and I said, you know, I walk around the grocery store and I see these folks hanging out at the, the, uh, ice cream section or at the potato chips or the soda section. And I say, I feel like I, I now understand what it's like to be an evangelical because I want to go over them and like witness to health. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, what's your relationship with sugar? <laughs> yeah. Don't you know the body needs vitamins and minerals? That's and right. That's right. And, and need the, these things. And it's not, you know, and you could say, okay, okay, you know, you're going overboard. Um, people are going to eat what they want. People are going to do what they want. And that's true. And there's, there's freedom and I'm a libertarian. So I don't care what you do. That's if it's, nice. if it makes you happy. All right, good. Yeah. It makes it, makes you happy to do what you, you do. But in the same breath, I look at how sick the world is becoming. You know, it's not yeah. like it was 10 years ago. It's not like it was 20 or when our parents grew up, it's not, yeah, they had, they had overweight people or sick people, but today it's, it, I feel like when I look around and people are just enjoying themselves and kicking back at a restaurant and having beers and French fries and stuff, I feel like everyone is sitting on the deck of the Titanic, just enjoying their glasses of champagne while the whole thing is going down. And maybe, maybe that's my negative thoughts on it, but I feel like it's that bad because the numbers and the data and the amount of money Mm -hmm. we're spending on sick, sick people is, is staggering and it's only going up. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And I wonder, I wonder what we can really attribute to that. I mean, obviously, there's the um, pull of things like alcohol and the pull of things like crispy chicken wings and, mm-hmm. wh- you know, whatever whatever it is. Um, but it's, yeah, from a libertarian standpoint, you, you do. You want to leave, leave everyone to their devices. But what if we have that as an experiment and then what ends up happening is, 80% or 90% of people become unhealthy and then does that then show you again that human beings as a innately hierarchical st- uh, species we do need some sort of hierarchy and, and some sort of ooh maybe not governing body but <laughs> authority yeah <laughs> at least you're sounding some sort like, of a yeah you're, you're sounding like you're, you're evolving into a classical liberal um which oh, is yeah. classical liber no classical liberalism is basically a libertarian that says okay maybe a little bit of government <laughs> and and i like to call them like i now that i'm in my 40s i i feel like i'm i'm going that way to because it's almost like saying oh the kids are fine let them have the house for the weekend and then you're like well maybe have one person there who's an adult <laughs> and that's kind of right. it's kind of how i've evolved yeah um that that's same sentiment I, yeah like certain jobs i worked and for lunch break we had a vending machine and people are going and grabbing you know henry and and some chips and i'm just thinking wow like how have you even made it to 38 like, yeah. How, yeah well how... the sad thing is people aren't anymore you know yeah. uh just last week someone in my county uh, i only know this because i heard people talking about it he was 39 with five kids dropped out of a heart attack oh, so i mean yeah these things are happening 
and yeah. and and that's where again this this is the weird dichotomy do you obviously people have a freedom to do things but when you see everyone being sick you know mm-hmm. it, it's a rarity if someone comes to my clinic and they're not on three to at least one medicine majority yeah. are on it majority are on about three to five and then i've got my people yes. on 10 or 12 yep and it's like that's not that's not living and then when you know no. what it's like to live you want to you want to inspire people to that but then there's the the magic bullet you know getting the person to to decide that that's what they want to do and to give them the opportunity to do that and i don't know that's that's an elusive beast they need to be driven by 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 something deeper than just pure pure instruction or knowledge that eating this and, and do exercising is going to make you healthier if you go one step further and it's well why do i want to be healthy is it so that i can lift up my kids and um, spin them around and just be more active and play soccer with them. I mean, you know, have a, a, a deeper meaning like this. Uh, you've probably heard that um, that phrase, the why is stickier than the how. Um, so your how to lose weight is, yeah, go to the gym and, and eat well, but the why is much more important. And that's right. what's going to pe- keep people um coming back and 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 doing the things that are are good for them you know Mm -hmm. because that stuff's not easy that's the whole thing about delayed gratification um we we didn't used to live in a way that tomorrow was guaranteed so i think that we evolved in a way to have gratification be immediate and that was okay because the next day wasn't you know we we didn't know what what was going to happen you know and but these days the next day, it's it, at least on average, it's it's more and more guaranteed. You know, it's it's we you and I both have, I would say, a pretty good chance of of living to old, old age. Um, but that's so we're we're working against evolution in a way to constantly be delaying gratification, weight loss, getting healthy, eating healthy. That's all delayed gratification. You're not going if you start going to the gym and you start eating well and you're eating red peppers and you hate them and you hate broccoli and you hate exercise. You know. That you're not you're not going to notice immediate results the next day. It might take a month. It yeah. may take two months, but then you start to see it. But if you can get over that hump of delaying that gratification, I mean that's where the magic happens. But yeah, it's getting people to that point, and that's why what I what I've even done with my uh, training clients is I've asked them to write out uh, a why statement for me, and I'll help them with it. You know, I'll, I'll say name. Um, I want three reasons that you come to the gym that don't have to do with weight loss. So they have to dig a little bit deeper and then I'll, I'll take those reasons and I'll compose a little two, two sentence statement for them and, and give it back to them. And I said, you know, delete this email or put it on your wall, like, you know, do it, do what you want with it. But, um, I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that we're missing here is, is that deeper why reason. The other thing is you got to remember I brought this up again. I don't want to sound like a repeating last week's um, episode, but I think one of the bigger problems is that people also don't respect themselves or they don't love themselves. And it sounds chintzy. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't love yourself, but it's true. I mean, if you uh, take your, my 45 year old woman, who's uh, 250 pounds that has diabetes and just feels awful and um, every morning she looks in the mirror and she goes, Oh yeah, I got to deal with, looking like this all day long 
And then I yeah. come along and I say, hey, remember that mocha frappa latte sugar bomb that you drink every morning that makes you feel so good? Yeah, you can't have that anymore. And then they say, oh, man. So then you, you, it's like you're taking away their drug. And that's their only yes. drug that, that, that makes them feel good. Yeah, yeah. One of me, it might be the only, depending on the the structure of of their day and their life, it might be one of the few things that they truly enjoy and find comfort in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, what's the answer for that? I don't know. Uh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> Get them to do uh, maybe stevia and dandelion root coffee and s- some alternatives, which can be tough too, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eating healthy is well. It used to not be fun because I was. I mean, I I considered myself a healthy person, but I still had pizza and French fries and you know chocolate cake on people's birthdays and, and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. and switching from that and saying, okay, I'm no longer going to eat bread. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was a hard. It was a hard pill to swallow. And you know, even today, if we go out somewhere and I see people taking that French bread and dipping it in olive oil with the pepper and the salt and the oh my gosh does that that's yeah. just magic right there but i don't know i i've got i got two kids now so i and i know i don't tolerate carbs whatsoever so you just i don't know and, well, and see I, that's your deeper reason that's right you have your deeper reason that's right, right. Yeah. yeah yeah and i guess to have people to, to come up with that i had a woman uh, a patient when i was talking to her she she just always was she wasn't connecting we weren't connecting somewhere you know i would give her some advice and then she'd come back and she wouldn't do it and i'd give her some advice and then i said i sat down with her and i said tell me about your dog and mm. and her face lit up oh my dog blah 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 blah. my <laughs> dog does this and my dog does that i said oh what is your does your dog have any medicine oh my dog has um doggy glucosamine and my dog and I give it that every morning and then he takes um heart medicine every month and I don't miss that and I mean we make sure we don't miss that one and then the flea medicine blah 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 and I said okay would you feed your dog a candy bar no that's terrible for dogs it'll mm. kill him I said okay do you realize you just told me that you were taking care of your dog better than you're taking care of yourself and it was yes like, she was eye-opening like, yeah it really was good one good one Kevin yeah, yeah. thanks but it's that's kind of the the norm that's kind of the norm yes um and then you you can also extend that to our our mental emotional state and you know the the self-narration and the self-talk we give to ourselves um if you if you're able to really get a sense of how somebody's talking to themselves you might ask them would would you would you ever go up to your friend and and tell them their they're worthless. They're too fat. They're this and that. They can, they're they're not deserving of love, and you know of course they would say no. Of course not. Well, why 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 are you doing that to yourself, to your own self? You know and yeah, you're yeah. spot on with that. Uh, I had Jason Sieb on last year at some time. He wrote a book called. That sounds familiar. Why does that sound familiar? Uh, he wrote. Uh, oh, I body bo- body beliefs, right? Body beliefs. Yeah, that's I've, right. I've read the book. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, he was on. Okay. He was on last. I want to say it was last year. Maybe it was earlier this spring. Whatever it was, um, <laughs> he he brought up that exact point. You know, would you go into a room with your five or six year old daughter and say, "You're worthless. You're disgusting." When you walk into a room. Um, people look at you and they say, "Ugh, I can't believe this disgusting person is here." And you're like, at "Me having a daughter, I that would break my heart. I can't even, I can't even comprehend saying something like that to her." 
but what is the dialogue that people are having with themselves every single morning? And it's along yeah, those lines. I'm wondering lines. if I got it from his book, what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it didn't. It, maybe it did. It's a great oh. book. Actually, you can get it for free for my listeners. You can go on to um, – mm, I'll put a link on waitwhatif.com. I think I have all, yeah. all of them on there, but you can get okay, it for well, free. Let me give him credit. I don't want to steal that. It's probably in my subconscious somewhere. Is yeah. Called, now called... that you're saying that, I'm, I'm, remember, I'm remembering that, and that honestly could have been where I got it from. But <laughs> it's called but parallel. It was Obviously, it was impactful. It's called parallel creativity. I think is when uh, you know, when, like when comedians tell a joke and it's the same one, and you know they're not ripping it off. It's just because mine's kind of working the same way. We all, we all experience the world around us and we find things funny and yeah yeah so well how how different is that these food addictions then and you know then uh alcohol addiction or cigarette addiction or you know opiate or anything like that i don't i bet it lights up the same pathways I, it you does know, I bet it, in a lot yeah. of the there's um dr i gotta give it for a minute um william davis he wrote wheat belly and he wrote undoctored two great books if people are like I want to be as healthy as possible, but I don't want to follow in the same paradigm. I don't want to go to my doctor and have him look at me under his glasses or over his glasses, whatever you say, um, <laughs> and say, oh, uh, your blood pressure is high. You need to take your blood pressure medicine. Oh, your sugar is getting high. Oh, your cholesterol is high. Take these medicines. I'll see you in three months. We'll see if everything's better. If you want to learn how to just start from scratch, reset your entire body uh, to to do what it's supposed to do, check out his books. Um, but he gets really deep into the pathophysiology, not even pathophysiology, I guess we call the biochemistry of, okay. of um, processed carbohydrates and, oh, what, yeah. and what they do in your system. And, and the way he describes it is, um, I can't remember, there's a lot of different proteins within the structure of these carbs. Uh, like if you're eating um, even whole wheat bread, and these proteins mm -hmm. uh, activate the... Um, and now what do you call it? The, I want to say the morphine receptors, but it's not that it's the, um, endor no, gosh, I can't remember. Whatever. The same morphine, the same receptors that morphine triggers. So you, yeah. you get a euphoria and a feeling of well being, And then when you deny your body that you get a withdrawal and you do see that when I have people stop bread, they get, they Whoa. feel, they feel crummy because they're not yeah. getting that, that fix that dopamine surge. Yeah, yeah, their opiate receptors aren't being tickled. <laughs> sure, and it's it's also, I mean, you see it with when they do lab rats, they they prefer sugar over cocaine and yeah, um, you know, other addictive substances. It's 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 remarkable. Uh, For sure, I, I can't remember. Someone was talking about how it's remarkable that caffeine. Well, although I don't think caffeine's regulated, I think any kid can go in and buy caffeine. But um, tobacco, alcohol, these things are regulated. But mm -hmm. a kid can go into a store and buy three bags of sugar. Right. <laughs> it's addicting. <laughs> It'll make you sick. It'll kill you if you if you consume it long enough. Well, yeah, that's that's our 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 wonky, highly politicized uh, version of of and definition of what a drug is. Right. Right. And the, I mean, science is pretty clear about it. It's anything that it induces a, a physiological change, um, most mostly in respect to the nervous system, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, except for, <laughs> you know, it's it's the classic. Uh, and I see this with my friends. I see this with a lot of my colleagues as they are anti-drug, quote unquote, and they are getting smashed every weekend on whatever, you know, whatever drink of 
of choice that it is, whether it be wine or it's alcohol, not a drug, whatever, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's alcohol. It's not a drug. And, and, um, it's, it's, you know, that's out there, uh, in, in the zeitgeist, uh, like there's this big, you know, dividing line and the line is the law. If it's legal, then it's not really a drug. And that's, insane i mean let it's maybe that's unfair it's ill-informed <laughs> okay anything else yeah right um, um in, 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 yeah go ahead well i was gonna say if you you can finish your thought oh i was just gonna say but interestingly you know we we are we are going to uh legalize cannabis in in just a few months here in canada really yeah october october 2018 that's fantastic so, um, yeah so yeah, I think that's going to be good. It's going to be good. Yeah, as a as a libertarian, so see, people often now. Here's the funny thing, you know, if someone smokes marijuana, they get they get pigeonholed as a drug user, right? But people can drink. You can go buy a fifth and drink yourself silly and beat your wife and kids, and they don't think of you as a drug user. Mm. When you look at the yeah. data about marijuana, you know the the positive benefits. And don't get me wrong, it's it's a drug and it's powerful. Yeah, and it's absolutely a drug. You can have a, a negative reaction to it, but you can have a negative reaction yeah. to aspirin. You know, you can have a negative yeah. reaction to strawberries. Right. So when I say fantastic, I'm not saying great, go out and get stoned. What I'm saying is, people should have the option. People should have the option to be able to grow a plant and use it as responsible mm-hmm. as they want. I mean, they, or even irresponsible as, they want, as long as they're staying in their house. Yeah. Yeah. And I should probably qualify my statement too. When I said it's going to be good. I mean, it's, I, I think that regulation is a good thing The you know, you're going to have, uh, the, more, more, more money for where you live. Mostly, you know, your, your provincial government or your state government is likely going to get revenue from this, which hopefully is going to get turned into things like better roads and planting trees and things like that. Sure. If you have a, a good government in place, but it's also good, you know, it's, it's, and it's not like they're okay with you doing it and, and, and driving around either. There's, I just heard that they're trying to come up with these new breathalyzers that, that detect, uh, cannabinoids on your breath, you know? And, and so that, I mean, that might be a net positive for, for society. I don't necessarily like the regulation, but I don't think you can legalize it and say, now everyone get, get behind the wheel and start driving, especially those that are, haven't tried it before. Now that it's legal, they're going to try it and they're going to combine it with different activities. Um, but I, I do think there's an upside to this. And of course the, the stigma going away. I mean, some people really do use it for things like chronic pain management and anxiety. You know, other people use it just to satiate their emotions and, and, mm-hmm. and to escape from the world. There's absolutely that component of it. And I personally believe that you can get addicted to it, which is something that, you know, it's out there too, that, oh, you can't get addicted to pot. Yes, you can. Sure, like, you're addicted yes, to anything. Yes, you, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think in this case, bringing it out from the shadows is, I believe, is a net positive. Sure. And, uh, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people bring up that uh, impaired driving uh, issue. And I, I think it's kind of a straw man. Ugh, straw man. Yeah. Uh, the whole reason being is that there's a host of legal medications that are going to impair your ability to operate a motor vehicle. Oh, I mean, yeah, you, can that's take, true. you can take Benadryl or you can be taking something your doctor gave you. You can be driving around taking Vicodin and fentanyl, right? right. It's yeah. just, and I mean, if it's, if it's legalized, does that mean more people will use it? Probably. Does that Probably. mean more people will use it while driving? Yes. More people are going to make bad decisions. So yes, that, mm-hmm. that will be there, but you're kind of saying, okay, this tiny small percentage of increased drivers 
um, is the reason why we're not allowing this one drug compared to all the other thousands of drugs that are available that will do more damage to you. I mean, it, it's, it, mm-hmm. and what's amazing to, to me about it is that person could take a Vicodin or fentanyl, which I, I, I technically I could write someone a prescription for fentanyl. I would never write someone why? a prescription for, for pain f- management. Yeah, no, that's, uh, ugh. I, I will stay away from, I stay away from opioids, um, for the most part except yeah. for, for codeine. I'll use codeine um, with coughs and stuff. But no, I think pain can be managed um, in other ways. Now, I, I suppose if you are dying of pancreatic cancer um, mm-hmm. or liver cancer, you're, yeah, okay, I, I see the reason for it there. But uh, no, not it, not in, um, I, think, I think you can tra- control your pain very well through, um, uh, what's that word I'm looking for, biofeedback. I think mm. Tylenol and anti-inflammatories work just as good. Uh, I just don't see, I, there's too many, well, anyways, it, I, I kind of lost my train of thought people with the, uh, basically what I was getting at is, but you grow a plant in your backyard and you smoke it, government puts you in a cage, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It, it just, I don't know. It gets, and we have endocan and we have endocannabinoid receptors in our body. We co-evolved with these plants. We have receptors specifically for the active molecules and constituents that are in them to interact with receptors and they're all throughout our body. And, uh, yeah. And so how funny is that, that it can result in, in, in jail time. There's a, I think it was Kyle Kingsbury was on Joe Rogan and he said, I think it was him or it might've been Hamilton Moore. So one of the guys was saying that it's a very puritanistic look at things. I mean, alcohol was illegal for for a while, at least down here. I don't know if it was up in Canada, but the idea is if a, if you partake in something that brings you pleasure, then it's automatically evil. Mm. And, and, and that tends to be the thing. You know, you can go out and take um, aspirin. It's not going to give you pleasure, so we don't give you that evil. But if you have any sort of euphoria, we say, oh, why is this person feeling good? <laughs> That's not We got to stop this. <laughs> I know, which is crazy. <laughs> what? I've never, yeah, wow. That's an interesting thought. And I, yet, hadn't, I hadn't really considered that, but... Uh... I, I think if if it is coming from the Puritan p- position, then it's obvious that it's to con you know to control. It's a method of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what was amazing yeah. is, is um, on your first. It, I still talk about your story about taking ayahuasca. I think it was. I'm I'm gonna butcher it, so I won't even bother trying to tell it. But the um, I think it was the first time you said you took it. When yeah. You, when you finally had your experience, um, I bring that up a lot on the podcast because that was. That was one of the more surreal things that that anyone's ever told me. Um, there's a reason why I bring this up. I was just looking at my notes, and now my brain just took a shot to the left there. Um, Let me just say I, I appreciate what you're saying so far. That's really cool. Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you. Yeah. And and maybe my thought. I honestly, I have. I always keep my notes up in front of me, and I scroll through them. And something just made me think of that, and then I can't find where my question was. So yeah. um, let me just say. Let's just do this. Can you recap that? And, and, and for the listeners, I originally had Riley on because I, I think I saw a tweet of yours or something, or maybe you liked a tweet mm-hmm. of mine and I was talking about ayahuasca and I was like, hey, I want to get this guy on here and talk about yeah. his experience with it. Um, and you had, you had told me basically that you were catapulted into the ethos and your, your physical being was melted away until you were nothing but consciousness. And you had, I guess, conversations with, with pure with, consciousness. With- yeah, with either with either something that was, um, 
you could classify as perhaps your higher self, mm -hmm. or perhaps it really was something um, separate enough to be considered a, a, a teacher-student relationship. But I can tell you that the communication that was happening, I wasn't driving it at all. Something, you know, something was talking to me, giving me these messages, giving me these insights. The the communication was nonverbal, which is the most unbelievable, inexplicable thing. It, it, it's nonverbal, but it the way that I was feeling it is it was it was almost like it was messages being uploaded into my DNA. That's the, really the only way I, I could explain it. And uh, and so there's there's that type of component to it where you are you're just sitting back and you're learning and you're you're really reflecting on your life and what it means to be alive and um yeah and then and then on 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 top of that there's yeah there's the dissolution of the ego of the self of you as you know kevin and in that body and however else you're a father and and ex-military and all, all these labels that are important in your day-to-day -day life they're they're dissolved in that realm and you you almost become this yeah this like spiritual goop <laughs> <laughs> i you know what i remember now what my my the reason why i was going into this is because you had said this is right you had said um the government it's probably illegal because if everyone started experiencing dmt or ayahuasca they wouldn't do the mundane things that the government requires of people to keep a society running. I truly believe that. <laughs> that was my I, train I, of thought that got kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I still believe that. And maybe you can't have uh, b billions of people having their spiritual awakening and all at once. I'm, I'm not sure how that would work. That, that might move to something you know how the the socialists believe a utopia would be if everyone is just able to be a musician or a painter well mm -hmm. we need incentive to, to 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 do the dirty work sometimes and and that that is the you know the, the beauty of the monetary incentive and you need that too but um i i believe that that is likely one of the reasons why they have it so the, the the classification is so contrasted in what it actually does, right? I think most most people, uh, most of your listeners are probably aware that of the, the the scheduling for drugs and class one and and all and all that being um, highly addictive and no medicinal benefit, whereas the the psychoactives like um, ayahuasca, um, ibogaine, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, and even to uh, a certain extent LSD, um, these these are all things that they it's 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 difficult work to go through it but when, once you're through it you you realize what's really important you prioritize things in your life again and that's it's likely not going to be the things that you spend eight to ten hours a day on that you're you find that you're not passionate about and that are not in alignment with hopes and dreams of that once you once had about what life could be um i was fortunate enough to go through that and i'm still going through that process you know, I, I I quit my job where I was I was in a cubicle and and uh, dressed up nice and was in front of a computer for eight to ten hours a day and there's a you know a certain lexicon you have to speak and there's a certain way you have to act and uh, it's very narrow all of those things and um, it it was ayahuasca that awakened me and and reinvigorated me and I'm still going through that now that was that's that's what 
really was the impetus for stopping what I was doing, which now I see was, in a sense, a, a, a purposeless, directionless life. And and now I, I'm in my fourth year of this journey to becoming a naturopathic doctor, which is something that really matched uh, my my previous degree and my my current behaviors and disposition and, and everything and it's incredibly challenging but uh, yeah I'm I'm kind of living one of those stories right now and sometimes I have to stop and remind myself of what actually happened and it was it was a a a plant brew <laughs> that changed everything yeah yeah do you think do you think people can reach that level of enlightenment personal enlightenment we'll call it uh, without something like ayahuasca i would i would certainly hope so I, I i wouldn't want anyone to feel like they had had to be reliant really upon anything mm -hmm. other other than their own body mind and spirit um i'm sure you've heard it be, being called the cheat code though yeah yeah uh, yeah i had a guy on a few years ago that was was calling it he actually he called dmt the smokable kind where you just go away for 15 minutes and come back yeah, he was like, "Oh, that was a cheat code." I because he went through all these um, ceremonies, and he said it was yeah. different. It was like a cheaper version because he just went straight there rather than go through the experience. Yeah, uh, so it can be it can be a bit of a cheat code. You can you can you can go through a process where you are, let's say, eliminating some of the uh, stressors, major stressors, if possible. You can start to look at eliminating those. You can seek out some psychotherapy to reflect upon your own inner monologue and you can practice living in the moment over and over and over again um and i believe that you could get there I, I believe you could still get there it would be arduous but you could get there um yeah but but for me it was it was you know it was that whole just getting catapulted and uh and being forced to look at these things in a Ex let me say accelerated way that was over three nights instead of let's say three years yeah. worth of work or you know so yeah i do think someone can get there um but you know we always need as humans we we rely on things to give us a little bit of a boost and a little bit of help and, and i think that's okay too even the you know the morning coffee or something like that mm -hmm. like it's something that we do we we, we rely on different things to to give us that that helping hand that we need and i think i needed that helping hand personally so have you yeah. are you familiar with graham hancock uh yeah i've read one of his books it was supernatural oh yeah it's a great one that's a great one? one yeah i totally yeah, forgot so about I... that one because i was yeah, just yeah. i'm rereading uh magicians of the gods and um oh cool and i was like do you know what i, I remember graham hancock talking about uh, ayahuasca and I'm like where where's that connection because he seems to be a journalist slash archaeologist type of person and I forgot you just now you just reminded me he wrote um uh what was it called again what was the name of his book again oh supernatural supernatural yeah yeah. Or, he wrote that yeah I haven't read that I'm gonna have to reread that but he he did a TED talk where he talks about you know where he was in his life he was smoking a lot of pot but he wasn't he wasn't using. He was using it recreationally. He wasn't using it to enlighten himself or better himself. And and then yeah. he had a, a. I don't know if it was DMT or ayahuasca, but he basically got brought down to a realm where it was like, this is hell that we are preparing for you if you continue to not, you know, be who you are supposed to be. Um, yeah. And he stopped. <laughs> he came back and was like, I'm done smoking marijuana. I'm going to, Whoa. Uh, or at least in that, in that extent. I mean, I, he probably still does, but, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I, the reason why I asked that is because I try, uh, to some extent, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I'm a, I'm an actor in a video game. I guess we can call it that. I'm not even a video gamer, but still I, I'll use that <laughs> analogy. And I have to operate within this world that's been created for me. And within that world, I have all sorts of stimuli, you know, some of them planned, some of them unplanned. And I'm trying to make sense of it. And so it's kind of one of the reasons why I have this podcast, because because there's a lot of white noise out there and you got to filter it out and, and, and coming from yourself and coming from others. And so every day, and, and you're right, it is arduous. Every day I try to um, put myself on the path of, of whatever it is I'm here to do. You know, I don't know what it is. No one really knows. And, but, but I feel like I'm on the right path. I go with how I feel, how I sleep, how I, how everything in my day is, is in perfect harmony. I know I'm doing the right thing, but also part of me wants to say, let's just look behind the curtain. You know, let's, Mm -hmm. let's get out of this game and see who's running the controllers. And and I feel like that's where, where (laughs) ayahuasca is. I mean, yeah, you can also, yeah. You can also consider, I guess, being dropped into a ice bath. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. But I, I want to see it as, as, as peeking me on the. And, and am I ready for it? Probably not. There's a level of anxiety that I would have mm-hmm. going into something like that, uh, okay. and, and I don't think it would pay off well uh, if I were to all of a sudden, you know, peek behind the curtain and have a massive panic attack <laughs> or something like okay. that. So, yeah. so Although that is what the shamans are there for. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can yeah, you see it all the time when you're, when you're, let's say you're in, you're experiencing full fledged DMT, uh, hallucinations or whatever you want to call yes. it. I don't even know what you want to call it. So, yep. I've, I've also read that you can bring yourself out of it pretty readily, pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. You can. One of one of the easiest ways to do it is to open your eyes. Hmm. Really? <laughs> and then you're back on earth. Then you're then you're then you're grounded you you're 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 grounded enough yeah. yes um, the 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 visualizations are primarily in the mind's eye they're closed eyed um, you can get some ge- some geometrical patterns and things like that with with open eyes but mm-hmm. it's it's the the um, floating technicolor phoenix birds and things like yeah. that that's with your eyes that's with your eyes closed well it's funny <laughs> so now let's talk about that all right. Um, so there's some theory that there's endogenous DMT, dimethyltryptamine or tryptamine. Yeah. So uh, that's yep. the that's the active chemical that's in ayahuasca that that is responsible for these uh, visions that people have. So I yep. have, you know, I, I'll try to bring myself to a meditative state, whether it's through breathing or sometimes I try to just drift my thoughts off without falling asleep. You know, try to think of myself as... Um, one way I think of it, so you know how we, we live our life through the first person, you know, through our, our eyes yes. and we see everything in mm-hmm. front of us. I try to remove myself from that and, and kind of almost put my first person throughout my whole body. It's hard to explain, but to be, instead of living behind my eyes, living behind yes. every point of my body as I'm laying there on the floor, right? As much through my feet mm-hmm. as I am through my head. And then, mm-hmm. and then I, in my mind, I picture it dissolving, right. And just going out into space and what that, instead of, again, now I don't have eyes. So now I'm, I'm just being right. I'm just expanding myself throughout infinity. And I've, I've tried to bring myself to that through breathing. And again, thinking of myself, just kind of dissolving into everything that is. 
And uh, at night, if I do that, I've, I've done it a lot right as I'm trying to sleep, I'll actually see geometric shapes. And I've, I've wow. laid there and saw, um, yeah, these like, uh, That's I, cool. almost like um, kaleidoscope type of these yes. weird pinwheel yep. type of things. Yeah, uh, sacred geometry, it sounds like. Yeah. So there's, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm tapping into my DMT. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I think you are. I, 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 I think you are. And I'm, because we because not only do we produce it we produce it differently under different states and of course we know how it interacts with um, the serotonin receptors in our brain and we do we have this endo type of system that uh, you 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 can do this and I've I've heard a lot in the context of like kundalini kundalini yoga which I haven't ventured into I did I scratched the surface but I didn't get that deep mm-hmm. um, and of course, we're just going on anecdotal evidence, right? Which is always difficult. Sure. Um, but I, I think that when you're starting to get those patterns, even if it's just on a, you know, a micro dose, almost an unfathom, an unfathomably low dose of DMT, I, I, I think that's what's happening, and we can induce it in certain states. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I've also heard uh, that when like a gazelle is being taken out of existence by a lion when it kind of gets to that point of of release there's a a huge dmt rush huh. in its brain as well yeah i wonder if they studied that with going. humans who are about to die mm. That'd be... i mean I, I would like to see that from yeah. a research perspective for yeah. sure if, if possible yeah um and yeah, I think what's really interesting about these drugs too is their implication with things like uh, drug addiction itself and uh, alcohol addiction, um, opiate, opiate addiction and uh, PTSD and anxiety. You know, um, they're studying ibogaine, psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, and even ketamine. Um, and they're, they're seeing if they can relieve, for instance, um, ter- terminal pa- cancer patients and seeing if they can relieve their anxiety scores over time. They're administering uh, MDMA and uh, combining it with psychotherapy for PTSD and seeing really good results. Um, there's, some in- there's some incredible studies. Uh, I- I'm sure you're aware of MAPS, right? The multidisciplinary approach to psychedelic studies something like that uh it's the... not by name but i don't i don't know okay yeah so it's so it's the organization that's attempting to fund studies uh of of, of this nature and so it's tricky because these things are illegal so what they do is they get they get special permissions from uh the fda uh, from the Drug Enforcement Agency, even from the U.S. Department of Human and Health Services, uh, and they rely on funding from private donors. So they get special permission from those agencies, and then they rely on, on uh, private donations, and then they do their trial. And uh, sometimes the trials are successful, and so they're able to get more attention, uh, get more money, and things like that. But like in in the Ibogaine trials, they're seeing things like uh, 20 to 50 percent of of subjects being uh, substance free for t- after 12 months of follow-up. Wow. So after a year of treatment, up to half of the people are, are still, uh, haven't gone through a relapse. And when you look at the what, issue right now of, of substance abuse, I mean, it's, it, it's horrible. People are dropping dead left and right. Yes. Yeah. Have yeah. You, have so you, have you read, um, Michael Pollan's new book? 
Uh, no, I've I've heard him in a couple interviews while he was doing his book tour. I think he was on Sam Harris's podcast, maybe a few others. Oh, um, really? That would no, be a I got to get to that. It's just, yeah, it's just being a just being a student. It's so hard. Um, I can I can if if it's I believe it's on audiobook. So if if it is, you know, I can listen to it in segments as I'm doing dishes and getting dressed and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's going to be one to check out. I hear it's. Have it's, you read it? No, I haven't read it yet. It's called How to Wait. Is it How to Change Your Mind? No. That doesn't sound right, but I just pulled up his website. Um, yeah. How to change your mind. That sounds more like a... <laughs> well, I know on, it sounds like such a blunted title yeah. compared to what subject matter is, but well, on I, his, I think that's it. Yeah, on his website, it says how to change your mind, and then he's got mushrooms up there. Uh, <laughs> I tr- I'm trying to read the subtitle here. Uh, how to change your mind, what the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. I hear it's a really important book in that this guy isn't a, he's not known as a um, psychonaut, you know, he's not like uh, mm-hmm. Terrence McKenna or, or, right. uh, or Graham Hancock. He's you known to be like, yeah. like a very down to earth. Here's the science type of guy. And um, right. he yeah, went he's a science journalist, correct? Yeah, That's I think so. Background? Yeah. I mean, he talks a lot about nutrition. Uh, he's got a bunch of nutrition books. Oh, he wrote the omnivores dilemma. Uh, mm, that sounds familiar. Yeah. So, I mean, it looks like he writes a lot about nutrition and nature and stuff like that. But yeah, I, apparently it's it's a really um, important book about about addressing the elephant in the room, which is if we are seeing positive results with psychedelics, why aren't we using them? And I'm totally talking out of school. It could be t- <laughs> could be completely opposite. But uh, I, from what I remember him on interviews, uh, that's, yep. that's the the basis of it. And he gives the science behind it. Yeah, it's 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 once a a stigma has kind of died in the wool, it's it's tough to get out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think not only are we fighting um, politics of of decades old, but uh, just the yeah the 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 collective perception of of what these things are. Um, the which I you know the collective perception seems to be they 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 make you insane. They turn you into a monster. You know, you, they, they put you into um, a state of mind that you'll never recover from. Even if there's some truth to that, I'd, I'd bet it's, it's not even one in a thousand. And if, and if you're giving it, let's say the two, a thousand trial subjects and 600, depending, you know, if you're, you're, you're kind of blowing that up to all, all different types of, of these interventions, 600 C benefit, well then, you know, cost-benefit analysis—it's—it's—it's <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy to to see that it's it's worthwhile. And yeah, I don't know what what the solution is other than just keep trying to do the research and and keep showing that something like, let's say, uh, M- I believe MDMA is probably the best studied at at this point. Sure. Um, yeah. 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 And and that's most mostly for PTSD, but uh, yeah, we're seeing. You know, so they have these things called the CAP, like the cl- Clinical administ- Administered PTSD Score, C- mm-hmm. CAPS maybe, and yeah, they're seeing they're seeing things like a, a 25% improvement with a week's worth of treatment. So they'll they'll do things like they'll um, they'll administer the dose, they'll do uh, some psychotherapy while the the patient is under the influence and then they will stagger it with then another psychotherapy session where the patient is sober and then they'll do another one under the influence and they'll they'll only do three of them and the the study will last like two weeks because like i said they're they're reliant on on private funding 
but they're seeing significant results, you know, and I'm sure that um, PTSD, uh, you know, with with your background and your colleagues and, you know, that culture that you that you were in, I'm I'm sure that that hits close to home. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, I mean, the other thing is, too, we've been using convention for for years now. and, And what's it gotten us? I mean, record numbers of people who are self medicating with dangerous medicines means we're not people aren't getting fixed. They're getting worse. So, mm-hmm. so where's the harm? You know, if you could say, well, yeah, there is harm. You're giving someone a, a substance, but no, I mean, we give cancer patients poison to kill mm-hmm. the cancer cells. So, you know, but we do that to save their lives. And I mean, if, yes. if you're going to come and say, well, you can't do this because they're hallucinogenics. Why? You know, what, what are you talking why? about? Yeah. There's, yeah. When I was, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, have you heard of the Hefter Research Institute? After I don't think so. No, lay it on me. So I don't know a heck of a lot. I know he, uh, Terrence McKenna, last time he was on Joe Rogan, had brought up this this place. And it's, I'll, I'll, I'll just read its quick thing here. The Hefter Research Institute was incorporated in New Mexico in 1983 as a nonprofit, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's been helping design, review, and fund leading studies on psilocybin at prominent research institutions in the U.S. and Europe. Our research has explored psilocybin and the treatment of cancer-related distress, addiction, and understanding yep. relationship between psychedelic experience and spirituality. I and might have read that study. I think that's maybe the one that that um, I was referring to earlier about ter- terminal cancer patients. That was that was psilocybin, and I, I've looked into that. Um, that one w- had unbelievable results. Uh, it was it was something like uh, significant improvements in nine out of 10 patients. And they were measuring 16 outcomes or maybe 17 outcomes. And it was 16 out of 17 outcomes showed, uh, improvement. Um, they... and so they were do, they were doing things like, um, so they have their measuring tools like, um, state trade anxiety inventory, um, Beck depression inventory. And they were measuring like, this was a serious study and it was over 10 years or something like that. So now are people getting relief because, you know, they're worried about death. They don't know what happens. It's the big void. And now they're getting sort of a, uh, a dose, like you said, a, a cheat code into spirituality. Look, look what yeah. could be coming. Is that, is that what makes people feel better? Or does it change your chemistry? And all of a sudden you're putting out more dopamine or, or serotonin and all of a sudden you just feel better. Well, the, the chemistry I think is temporary, but the new neural circuitry from when you're under the influence, I believe to be more, more permanent. Uh, death was a, a, a big one for me in my trip as well. And it, it didn't come up in a morbid fashion. Uh, it really helped me accept everything that was going to happen and, and, and just the reality of this agreement that we have, you know, the thing that makes life possible is death. If death wasn't a thing, then life would be called something completely different. That's what gives us the substrate to have life in the first place. And, you know, there's those awesome uh, little bits from Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the the only way that copper and magnesium and iron and things that are in your body get made is in the crucible of stars. And then they explode. Yeah. And then yeah. that's what happened with our solar system. And then we find it on Earth. And then we become these we are celestial beings and yeah. that's how we were created and that's where we're going to go back to in one way or another. You know, we say back into the ground kind of morbidly. Yeah, well, you know what? The earth is going to get swallowed up by the sun and it's just going to become uh, chemicals and, and minerals again, too. And then it's, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But uh, so I, I think 
what it does is it it allows you to to think of these things in in those very different ways and um and I, I think that we have natural cognitive defense mechanisms against thinking we don't want to just be thinking about death and our mortality all the time we'll go insane but right. and so we don't um but uh with the dissolution of the things like your who you are your name you're the ego well then you know now you can start to explore anything and nothing's off limits now and that's one that comes up a lot and that's one that came up for me on on my very very first experience and very first night and i i believe i recounted it during one of our conversations but essentially i was kind of out out in outer space and I, I took this third person view of myself and from head to toe it just started kind of wisping away like you would see a sand dune wisping away in, in the wind mm-hmm. I just started going away and it was in different colors that to me was symbolizing different uh, com- uh sorry different atoms like the oxygen and the carbon and, and copper and iron and all that and it just kind of went away and then just started swirling around in our in our solar system and my my uh uh, interpretation of that was it's it's beautiful what we are as as human beings in the milky way galaxy that is that is what we are and that's it, it, you know and as soon as we can let go of this i and this need to be immortal uh it can it can be you know a, a beautiful thing you know the, the way look at the way that trees die or plants die they don't do it in an ugly way they do it very peacefully and very beautifully and you know they don't go kicking and screaming it's almost like they they accept it you know i know that plants don't have brains and families that we know about there's still something to be learned from that yeah well they do have families and sure yeah they um my daughter she's four she always says we come from stars daddy and i'm like that's right whoa that's right i know i know she's that she's been saying that for years i, I must have really told straight. her that somewhere uh, huh. I must have, I, I don't know. I think because we used to lay on the lawn in the, it's usually around fall here because they go to bed before nighttime. So usually around fall, you can lay down and see the stars start coming out. I was like, that's where everything comes from. And then mm. somehow that stuck with her and she'll say, we come from stars. I'm like, oh, yes, I got her. <laughs> that is the coolest four-year-old I've ever known. Yep. Yep. She is pretty cool. <laughs> well, Hey, we've been going on for a while. I didn't realize it. Uh, yeah, it's good talk. Um, yeah, I could go on for another four hours, but um, same. I've got like three other lives I have to live in the same yeah. <laughs> sense. But that means we have to do this again. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, where can folks find you? Are you? I saw your new moniker's. Uh, well, I think it's new. Uh, Gentleman Owl. What's that all about? Oh yeah, geez, that um, <laughs> it comes up on that, my... I, what, probably through email. That was uh, when I was when I was delving into. Uh, like a, the singer songwriter thing that was going to be a pseudonym that I was uh, going to be under. And then it just kind of s- stuck, I guess. Oh, tell, tell um, me that was like during your, um, your teen years when you were trying to be deep and cause that would be, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a little while ago. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah. but on Twitter or where, where can folks reach you? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be launching a podcast hopefully next week. Nice. Uh, I've got a Yeah. I've got a few episodes in the bank um, it's more to do with uh, natural health and just stories that are in the news. And we're trying to give a balanced perspective, um, you know, we're bringing research into it and, and trying to have some fun. It's called the alternate route R O O T. So maybe if people just want to start looking that up on Instagram and, and Facebook and 
and Twitter. And uh, I believe on Twitter we're at alt, alt root podcast because we couldn't fit it all on the handle. But uh, that's probably that's probably where I'm going to be posting more of my more interesting things and articles and pictures and things like that. So that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. Cool. When you when you when you focus in like that, it's so easy to build an audience. And then when you're like me and in one conversation you're talking about ayahuasca and then the next you're talking about <laughs> jujitsu. <laughs> right. <laughs> Your audience builds a little bit slower, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, well that... you were uh, you were definitely an inspiration actually for me to start the podcast. So. Oh, I appreciate it. I think everyone should. I think to, in today's day and age we have this we we've figured out so people are always worrying where we're going. Where are we going? Are we going to be AI? Are we going to be eaten up by robots? Whatever. Just enjoy what we have right now. What we have right now is the ability to have these conversations that we couldn't have, you know, ten, even 10 years ago, I couldn't have a radio show, you know, out of my front room. You know, this is, it's just great. I think we live in a fantastic time where people can make their own TV shows. People can make their own documentaries. People can make their own radio shows. And, and, um, I was talking to Savannah about this. I said, even if you get, let's say your audience is just a hundred people, that's a hundred people you get to talk to and, and have a conversation with and a relationship with. And then the people you interview, I mean, it's just, it's, I I think technology is great. And I I think it's, um, it's just, hopefully it's going to get better. We'll see. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. It looks, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far and yeah, look forward to it. All right, cool. Well, Riley Anderson at, the i'm gonna the root podcast the alternate root r-o-o-t alternate root (laughs) all right i'll get it right but i'll tweet it out all right man thanks thanks for your time hey anytime it was great talking to you again like us on facebook.com slash wwi podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at WaitsWhatIfPodcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Internet Radio. your listening experience. Now go forth and expand your reality.